Hello, and welcome to Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McMenamin. In this series of podcasts, Sean and I are going to be talking about business topics and adventures, that work-life balance that everybody needs. So sit back and enjoy the show. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, Les. How are you, Terry? Doing good. Had a little uh, technical difficulties, but finally figured it out there. I know, that's true. <laughs> technology. Uh, it can be such a beating at times, right? I know. But... In fact, we're going to be talking about technology a little bit today, right? With uh, quality 4.0, industry 4.0. Absolutely. How do we How did we get to where we're at now? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but before we dive into that, uh, we, have, we have a lot of listeners out there and we wanted to let our listeners know that... Uh, after a hundred plus episodes, we finally decided to put a website up. <laughs> we still have some work to do it, to do to it. Um, but um, we do want to let people know that uh, signatree.org is, is up and running and you can check it out. You can actually uh, get to all of our podcasts from there. You can get to uh, a lot of our blogging that we've done is out there. Uh, we've started some lists of books uh, out there, um, and just different, uh, activities that we've engaged in and kind of what we're about. Like I said, we've got a little bit of tweak, tweaking to do. Uh, we want to kind of change some of the wording a little bit, things like that. Uh, but it is also a place for you to uh, send us an email and give us comments and feedback about the different topics that we touch on. So, um, you know, that's been one of the things we've been wanting to do for a long time is give people, the ability to give us a little bit of feedback, whether we want to hear it or not. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know it's been easy so far. Yeah. So Sigma tree.org Sigma tree.org. Okay. The other thing is, is out on this website, we are at some point going to have merchandise out there, help pay for this little uh, hobby of ours. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we want to, we want to get a little bit of revenue rolling in so that we can kind of uh, pay for, you know, some of the, uh, you know, website activities, podcast activities, things like that. So it's not coming directly out of our pockets, but, uh, so, uh, a little, little way of monetizing. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, you know, if you're, if, uh, we're going to put some interesting t-shirts up some things like that. So, you know, check it out and, and, and help us out and, and we'll keep it going. So any thoughts there, Sean? Yeah, I'm just, all I can think of is that we can see how dorky we can be with you know, slogans on t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff. No, no doubt. Yeah, and I, and I'll, I'll try to put all that money that I spent on camera equipment to good use too. Maybe throw some photos up there. There you go. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean is, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, Sean is a avid uh, photographer and uh, we're both kind of outdoorsy people and uh, we like camping and all that good stuff. So the, this whole um, business and quality stuff is our little nerd side. So, yeah. <laughs> So anyways, today, my kids would be shaking their head. Yes, definitely. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) They're so proud. So today we're going to talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, how you think about quality and how quality has kind of grown up, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how how quality has evolved over the years. And, you know, we're not going to really go through the history details of quality. We kind of discussed that a little bit with the with the players involved in quality and the history timelines. But really what we're going to touch on today is, is um, the revolutions, uh, the, four, the four major phases, so to speak, that industry and quality has kind of uh, 
kind of gone through. So, so uh, we're going to touch on each one of those real quick, and then we're going to kind of um, hover around that uh, that fourth stage and kind of talk about it a little bit. So, so uh, the the first revolutionary uh, part of industry came about with what the 18th century. Um, biggest forms of change was uh, mechanization, right? Mm-hmm. So what, by mechanization, what are we talking about there? Yeah, instead of using horses and donkeys, we use water and, and wheels. There you get, go. That's a good, things, good way to summarize it. And, and, uh, and then in, in a little bit more of what I like and what I do for a real living is steam. Yeah. And steam has been around for a long time, right? You're right. So I think steam came about kind of probably in that second industry revolution, right? Uh, well, that's true. Got, more the more factory more factory driven steam yes. yeah 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 so the so the second revolution actually started in the 19th century um, uh, it had uh, technology changes focused around uh, energy sources so uh, electric gas oil and probably steam was part of that steam was probably really came about with the railroads with the first industry revolution, mm-hmm. uh, but then was probably used even further within uh, uh, companies to kind of run equipment within the indus- within the, uh, within the areas. Uh, second industry also involved uh, 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 communication. So uh, telegraph and telephone kind of came back, uh, came into play. And then of course the big one, the automobile. Mm-hmm. So Henry Ford plays a huge part in that part of the process where he's uh, automating the, or not automating, but streamlining the production line. And that's where assembly line. Yeah. The assembly line process. And that's where a a lot of that moving uh, technology comes from. We then have the third industry revolution where we're focused on um, things like nuclear power coming about Uh, computers uh, start to play a huge role in the 20th century. Uh, computers came about, you know, after, uh, what is it? The 1960s, late fifties, somewhere in there was the, the first computers. Well, or uh, even the, the first, the, the, uh, the Turin, Turin machine back in World War II to uh, yeah. decipher, decipher the, or the, we call it the Enigma. The Enigma. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. By Turin. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was really the first computer. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and I guess of, the one thing, you know, just to tie, you know, what, what all happened, how quality and, and quality measurement, you know, that was needed in these industries because of what was happening, the automation, the assembly line, the sheer volume of, of computer, computer chips, computer components, automotive components and things like that. So, so that, that, that's kind of the tie. It's just not a history lesson on, on what was happening when. It's right, just, right. So I, I think that they probably followed each other. As far yes. as advancements go, there was probably a lagging scenario where industry started to take off. And then, like you were saying, the mass production scenario, uh, quality started to, to, to ramp up at that same time. So those people that we talked about during our last podcast, that's kind of where they started to ramp up through the through the process. Seeing that need. So, you know, and then the last one we're going to, you know, kind of focus on is that industry 4.0, which is really where we're at today. And and of course, hasn't really ended in any way, but it's the uh, kind of the technology taking kind of the next leap in, in intelligent, you know, in business intelligence and AI and that kind of stuff, you know, so industry 4.0 is kind of where we're at, where we're at right now. Um, 
the uh, like Sean was saying, along with that process, you know, came the the deeper need for quality. So quality has evolved right along with it. So you know, we first started with uh, you know quality uh, quality control, where we're inspecting uh, pretty much everything, realizing that soon after that we needed more quality assurance. We got into the topics of uh, big Q, little Q, and the difference between those two um, quality uh, ideas um, and, and how they play a role in the process. Um, and then, you know, of course, how you manage quality and make change uh, where you're focused on, you know, the cost of, of poor quality and then how you make improvements, right? So there's the famous uh, diagram that I think Duran um, uh, developed, which kind of shows you know, the quality planning, the quality control, and then the quality improvement and how your processes should step to, 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 the next, to the next level. And then you have a lessons learned feedback. But again, that's all still, so to speak, manual. I don't know of any other better way to say it than that. There's no automation involved. It's really just brute force uh, improvement, so to speak. Mm -hmm checking, analyzing, and then just, yeah, brute force improvement. Yeah. And so I think that that's where that brute force scenario is kind of where um, two things, uh, the, the thought process of operational excellence kind of is starting to rise to the surface, looking at the, the organization as a whole, which is what, uh, you know, operational excellence is kind of trying to look at, where it's focused on, you know, leadership, strategic planning, uh, customer focus, you know, workforce process and results. It's kind of focused on those, those uh, big, those big items, not just, you know, manufacturing processes. So I think the realization is that uh, leadership plays a key role in how quality functions within the environment. Uh, how they do strategic planning is key uh, within that whole process. You know the customer is key to that whole process. Yeah, we go back to go back to the um, the four dimensions of uh, scoreboard scorecard. Oh yeah, the scorecard, right? Customer yeah, balance scorecard. Balance scorecard. Sorry, can yeah. I bring it up? Yeah. So every, to me, everything drives to there drives towards the balance scorecard. And like you said, the quality process, program, and improvements are driven by what is needed. What is needed by the strategic plan and customers really. Right. Yeah. You know, and then, so then from there, I think there's this establishment of having that operational excellence program and then how you take your quality and start to elevate it, you know, to the next level. This all depends on where your environment is currently at. Right. So I don't think you can go from ground zero to automation. No, no. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's a very futile leap. You know, I, I, I have known people that have wanted to do that. And of course, you know, I don't blame them for not wanting to do it. It's just that it's not realistic. Well, I, the way I look at it, it's a matter of, of how well you, you know your process and you understand your outcome. Yeah. And then, I mean, you could, you, I guess in certain processes, you can jump into automation from a manual process as long as it's, well, I shouldn't say as long as it's not too complicated. If you do have a more complicated process, then there are more checks and, and quality stops in order to make sure that the output is where you need it. 
so so when you're so when you're doing a leap like implementing an ERP system, you know this is very very near and dear to both you and I's heart. Um, Sean's in the middle of one right now, and I I just finished doing one, and you know an an ERP system is a technology that touches all aspects of the business, right? And so if you have your processes in place, it seems like an ERP system can run and be implemented fairly well. If you have no processes in place or very little processes in place, ERP implementation is much more challenging. Right. And you, and you can tell that in, in the areas of the business where the processes were not only in place, but well understood and followed as opposed to the areas of the business where processes were in place in name only. Nobody yeah. followed them and they weren't well understood. So having a process is one thing, making sure that it's, that it's followed and, and, if, and, and it's a continuous uh, growth in your people and your processes in getting, in getting people to actually comment on those processes. If they deviate, they should feel free and, and, and be bound to let you know, management and the process improvement team know why they deviate from the process because one, it's easier for them in one way or they think it's faster. Right. And then you just go through that, you just go through that iteration of, of honing into one process that works and then it's easier to jump into an automated, automated system. So there's, there's three kind of um, key principles to the whole quality 4.0 that a lot of people like to focus on. One of them is people. The second one is the one we, we already brought up, which is process. And then of course, technology. So ERPs are one of those tools from a technology standpoint that everybody hones in on. But there's so much more from a technology standpoint that quality and industry 4.0 is kind of kind of focused on and, and data is just one of them, which is what an ERP system is. But, uh, you know, getting people, let's talk about people for a second. So from a challenge standpoint, you know, elevating people to a point at which technology is, is um, uh, usable, so to speak, or that they can understand it and do something with it. Isn't that one of the challenges that uh, we have when you're trying to elevate an organization? That is definitely one of the one of the major challenges. You know, convincing convincing the working people that one, their job's not in jeopardy because we've got technology coming in. Right. Uh, two, you know, they they have to be uh, convinced or they should always be convinced in, in how you run your organization that they're valuable and what they do is valuable. You don't want to devaluate what they do by automating it. Because yeah. then you'll get it. You'll get a demotivated employee. You, the, the whole idea to move people to a higher level of technology usage is for greater capacity. Just like when we talk about a, a, a leader or a manager delegating to his team so that that leader can get more done, it's just the opposite when it comes to to uh, using technology to expand your capacity. You know, or just it's almost in, it's an inverse relationship give somebody technology, they should have the capability to get more done in a given amount of time. And so training, I think, is a key part of that, you know, because if, you, if you're wanting people to speak the digital language, so to speak, understanding the technology, you know, uh, I think training is definitely a, a key part of that and training, training the, the right people and the people that want to be involved in it. Um, and of course, uh, 
you know, how, you know, how do you elevate, how do you elevate them to the point at which technology doesn't scare them, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, run them off, things like that. Um, so the second one is process. And, um, you know, we, we touched on it a second, but so automation has always had this, this uh, thought of uh, creating a flawless process if you're automating it. You're grinning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can automate the wrong process or you can automate it. You can automate it so that, so that the end result is out of tolerance. So, (laughs) so you definitely need people to oversee the, the process and the technology that, that is driven by that process, because you need, you need somebody to understand what the end result has to be. The machine doesn't know what the end result is supposed to be. The machine only does what the process tells it to do. So you need a person to, to input that or, or oversee that process and then, and then correct for any deviations in how the technology produces the end result. You know, I, uh, reading about the technology side of this, they, they make a, uh, you know, I, I wrote an interesting comment here that quality professionals must move from data analyst roles to data wrangling roles, wrangling with uh, with new technologies, wow. because you're well, because you're trying to usually what's happening is, and I'm doing this right now in my current role is how do you pull all these different pieces of data together so that one, it's easy to pull together each time, and two, it's it's presented in a way that's helpful mm-hmm. to let you know if you're winning or losing or if you're you're making a difference because that's usually why you're pulling data together, right? Yeah. Or you're using the data to uh, make decisions uh, if you're getting into an automation standpoint, you know, but it's got to be good data. So that's why they talk about wrangling the data together uh, because you, you do have data in a lot of different places. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I can, I can appreciate that. I, I would still call it analyzing because I mean, wrangling, I guess if you've got more data than you can, sit on, you know, if yeah. it's overwhelming, then, then maybe you have to wrangle it. But I, I completely understand that. Just like you were saying before with, with us and this new ERP system, we're effectively live. We've been live since May. There's still some hurdles. But what I've been doing besides correcting permissions and things like that, that people need and don't have, um, looking at the data, we have nice dashboards and, and information based on how we set the system up, which is an auto an automated process now that people don't have to to sift through spreadsheets from outputs from the old system but the, but but I what I do see and what I find is that the data although it looks nice and it's close it's not exactly right because there are selections and there's there are uh, workflows I won't call it a process there's workflows in the system that in some cases double count so when people in the, in the conversion, so just an example, and I'll, and I'll maybe get too detailed. Um, if somebody created a sales order and made an error and they closed it, instead of, instead of you know, in the beginning we can delete things and for a reason we can delete things. If they closed the sales order because they, they made a mistake, well, the system still thinks that that was closed and it was a good sales order. So we've got sales orders in a system that are double counted. Uh, so I've got to find those, correct it, and then train the folks to say, hey, this isn't the process. If you make a mistake, it's not a, it's not a, a, a close the sales order. 
we can cancel the sales order. And actually the system that we have, you can, you can edit the sales order a great deal until there have been GL impacts. And then right, right. Until there's other tables that are attached. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, you train people and you train people and you train people. Yeah. And then after, and then after they use it, you got to train them again. <laughs> yeah. The old saying, if it weren't for people. <laughs> I'd be on the beach listening to the ocean. <laughs> so, so let's touch on the uh, quality 4.0 tools real quick. And some of these get uh, pretty deep and some of these I don't know too much about, uh, you know, yet. So these are kind of the, the future of where quality and industry are kind of going. So the first one listed there, and there's eight of them that's listed, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, eight of them. Um, artificial intelligence. So this involves computer vision. So uh, if you're actually, uh, you've got an assembly line, you've got vision that's mm -hmm. actually looking at different things pole sizes, connections, and that vision is doing some interpretation. Um, uh, language processing, so verbal communication. Uh, I don't know what chat bots are, you know. Uh, personal assistance. <laughs> well, chat, chat bots, chat bots aren't, isn't that, I mean, the example is when you uh, log into a website. Oh, a website, yeah. Right, and uh, and that thing pops up and it, it it just has some artificial intelligence based on the questions that have been asked and the corresponding answers that have already been given. Yeah. You know, all this stuff we, we live with, if you have, if you have a voice activated remote or an Alexa at home, right. that voice recognition, um, I, the big wigs have those. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it's or Google. I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic when it comes to that, that type of technology. Yeah. But, um, one of the coolest things when you brought this up, I don't want to waste too many time telling stories, but um, if you ever watch a program called How It's Made or Baby Oh yeah, Science, I love one that of those, show. You know, one of those shows. Yeah. The, the optical, the optical uh, control for like tomatoes or potatoes or any kind of, any kind of high volume flow of, of goods and even something like tomatoes that you don't want to bruise, they can tell when a tomato isn't ripe enough or is too ripe for the process. They have little paddles. They have little paddles that knock them out of the flow, but it can it can see which tomato is not right, and then knock it out of the the flow to the packaging department, all while it's flowing at like fifty feet per second. Wow! The conveyor. It's yeah. I, I've remarkable. seen some of those how it's made, and they're pretty impressive. Yeah. So there is there is a lot of people that's using some of these things. Mm -hmm. You know, the next one being machine learning. Uh, you know, can't, you know, having machines actually learn from themselves, uh, getting it a little bit of uh, Terminator type stuff here. Um, scary stuff. Neural networks mm -hmm. looking for pattern recognitions. You know, uh, that's a that's a pretty pretty deep one. And the key is is how are these things being applied to quality? Is why these are being brought up. You know, blockchain. Um, I'm not so sure. I totally understand blockchain. Uh, increasing transparency and audibility of transactions. You know, I'm not sure I totally understand that one. Big data, I definitely get uh, with HeyDoop and Hive and NoSQL mm -hmm. databases. Yeah, I, I definitely get those. Uh, enabler technologies, uh, the, you know, that gets into virtual reality and, and mixed reality. Uh, and then sta uh, uh, statistics and data science. 
Um, but the key to why we're bringing these up is because how are, how are people now taking these items and applying them to quality control? So you gave a, a good example with the, with the um, tomato, but, but how, how can some of these things be applied to, to let's say environments such as you and I've been used to, which is a more custom environment, not a linear flow. I am now in, in a somewhat of a linear flow environment, which is, which is nice because I'm getting to apply uh, different parts of my quality background to it. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in a custom environment or a semi-custom environment, you know, how can you take some of these things and, and apply them uh, from a quality perspective, you know? Well, yeah, I say that we, we, we customize standard goods. So, so the components are standard, you know, effectively off the shelf, the components are standard, you assemble them, you send them, assemble them into a custom product. Right. So, so many of these tools still work in our custom environment um, and in our somewhat, at least mine, old technology environment. Even though, so, so for example, we do uh, equipment that uh, has environmental impacts. And so we have to measure on the parts per million scale. So looking at some of these tools and, and you talked about, um, you know, patterns, uh, Either, either neural networks or, or uh, um, blockchain. Well, not necessarily blockchain and what I'm, what I'm thinking about here, but uh, uh, anyway, patterns, patterns based on what can be measured optically or infrared, with infrared, right. can give you an understanding of what the quality is of, say, the nozzle injecting some fluid into a, into a, a larger flow. Right. So, so that analysis and that wrangling <laughs> Can still be done, uh, even if your even if your product is kind of a legacy product. Put it that way. Well, and another thing is, is that how do you back this this these tools up into not only your product but the equipment that supports your product? You know, so um, you know if you've got welding welding machines, is there any interpretive data that would help you with maintenance on the machine? like understanding how many hours that sends a signal, lets you know, hey, this has got a thousand hours on it, you need to do maintenance on it. Mm -hmm. Or hey, the weld rods are going slower now, you need to do something, you know, and it gives you those signals. That's part of that machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, side of things. You know, if you've got a brake press uh, and, it, and it can tell that it's not pushing a certain number of PSI, you know, okay, it's, is it leaking, leaking hydraulic fluid, you know, or something like that. So these, so not only can your, does your product need some of these, but the equipment that makes your product needs uh, some of these sensing tools, uh, some of these data analysis tools, uh, things like that, data mining type information. So that would be, yeah, you would, you would, you would want that for uh, a predictive, a predictive analysis on when you will be out of compliance with that product that it's making. Right. So if, if your die is getting is getting dull or your bit is getting dull, you can measure if you can measure the tolerance on what the bit is, then you can have a, a tool changed out prior to ruining any any product. Yeah. And then if that was done automatically, there you go. Yeah. You know, and and I think that um, you know, as a company starts to you know elevate its processes these are some of the areas that they need to question the value. So there's a value proposition here, you know, uh, and, and an ROI, of course, that needs to be addressed. Uh, you know, is it worth going down this path? Does it make me 
more competitive? Does it, you know, does it elevate my capabilities within the industry that I play in? You know, things like that. So, you know, there is a, there is that discussion that has to happen. I'm not so sure you should just jump on the bandwagon just because. Oh yeah. Right. No, if you, if you had some predictive program on, on one machine, to tell you when you need to do maintenance if, if that program was much more expensive than than you know just having something on the calendar to say hey do maintenance every six months and perhaps if you did maintenance every six months you would be you would be somewhat wasting somewhat wasting uh life in in a tool or a die or something like that but if the if the overall cost is less than some predictive machine learning program in your in your device then you're better off actually we just i just had this this morning somebody wanted us to rent a a uh, analyzing device from them instead of having us get maintenance on it every nine to 12 months well it was kind of silly because the the monthly rental fee over the year was more than actually buying a new device every year (laughs) and each device came with a year warranty so it just made absolutely no sense. I don't know if he, if this person didn't think we would think about that, but uh, yeah, spending $300 a month is less, but spending $900 to get it serviced once a year is a lot less than $300 a month. You know, and, and, you know, for our particular case, I know that we've even got some robotic arms that do welding, but mm-hmm. supposedly they haven't been used very much or, or haven't been, uh, working or something that's, you know, that's something I'm going to dive into at some point, but it's not necessarily my biggest rock right now, but it's just interesting. I see, you know, I haven't gone back in there, but I see these big robotic arms back over there and they haven't moved since I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some, some capital was spent on those. So exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So the, the last thing I wanted to touch on was, uh, kind of the adoption rate. So out of the article that I kind of pulled together here, um, you know, we talk about uh, uh, the adoption rate of some of this stuff. So uh, some of the numbers that have been kind of collected is, you know, out of the factories today using interconnected, you know, sensing or capabilities, we're only at about 39%, you know, so which that that seems reasonable uh, out of all the industries that are, you know, that are out there that it probably seems like a, there's probably a pretty low number that's actually using, you know, that kind of that kind of information, um, you know, companies um, of industry companies invested in the development of smart factories. It's actually kind of high, you know. So I don't know if that has to do with um, just people uh, see its value but don't necessarily understand where to put it. Now, yeah, as I see that that ninety one percent of industrial companies invest in the development of smart factories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that one, I find that one hard to believe. People I might, do. might believe in it, but I mean, if 91% invest in that, there's gotta be a great return. Um, but I guess that one leaves me, that one leaves me hanging not enough information on that. Right. And then the other one I was going to point out was that 66% of factories will rely on predictive maintenance in the future. Oh, that I believe one. that in the future. Yeah, I believe, sure. That. Sure. I believe that one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, and this, this, this uh, particular graphic had, you know, a, a U.S. versus U.K. comparative. You know, I didn't necessarily wanted to touch on that, but, you know, 
cloud computing definitely seems to do, be the technology that's being adopted <clears throat> the fastest, which definitely I, I understand that. In fact, most of the decisions I make, I usually go towards a cloud solution first mm -hmm. nowadays. Okay. It's, it's so reliable. Uh, advanced analytics is next. Internet of things, uh, you know, the buzzword, internet of things. Uh, robotics is after that. Uh, blockchain is um, after that. AI starts to come in. And then 3D printing and then augmented and virtual reality. So, um, so that's kind of the order that uh, things are being adopted, at least, you know, in the United States. Um, you know, and, and it follows relatively close suit with uh, the UK. But, uh, but that's how it's being uh, uh, adopted in the United States. So, I, you know, I think that uh, this is something that we as leaders just need to be aware of. Uh, we need to understand how it can play, you know, a role in, you know, in our, in our environment. It just, and it doesn't stop with an ERP system. You know, I think there's, there's more, a lot more out there that can be done. It's just whether an organization is ready for it or not, right? Right. Well, yeah. and the other, the other hurdle, which I think, I think is a big one and, and maybe should be the, the last topic we, we touch on is, uh, is cyber risk. With, oh, yeah. With all of these, you know, Internet of Things and cloud computing, and I completely agree with you, the, the ability to maintain security is, is I think, exponential compared to what we would use the technology for. Right. I mean, as we've seen here in the States with, with pipelines getting shut down, meatpacking uh, companies getting shut down, it's, it is extremely dangerous to have your factory facility interconnected. And especially, well, I shouldn't say especially, I'm just, what, even if you have a server, I think it's just as easy to hack for these professionals. Uh, as well as if you've if you've got everything in the cloud. So. Yeah, whether it's whether it's local or whether it's um, uh, whether it's in the cloud, it's it's the risk is pretty much the same. Well, it's, and it's, yeah, it's, it is it is high and scary. I mean, yeah. you, when you, when you go to your bank account from your phone, do you yeah. Uh, yeah cringe? Yeah, it's it's just you know you just you just count your blessings every day that you weren't hit yet. So um, as we end, remember, I brought up the beginning of this, go check out our website at uh, sigmatree.org and um, give us some feedback on our podcast. Give us some feedback on our, our website. Uh, we'll have some uh, merchandise out there at some point. Uh, run out and just buy you a t-shirt so you can advertise for us um, and uh, help us uh, keep this going. It's uh you know, we have a fun time doing it and uh, we hope you all enjoy listening to it. Anything else you want to bring up, Sean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Hopefully everybody enjoyed listening, but um, I do recommend reading the, the blog post that Les will put out there on this, on this topic because yeah. a lot of good information. And uh, I haven't posted the blog yet, but yeah, I will. When it, when it'll come out. Yeah. It just comes out usually a few days after. Right. Talk about it. So yeah. Um, yeah. You'll, 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 you'll get some a little more detail in, the blog post so yep. so okay well sir i appreciate it and uh, we'll go ahead and end right here you have a a good one yeah you too Les. have a good rest of the week yep take care bye. bye i hope you've enjoyed this week's show sean and i will be back again to discuss another exciting business topic and work life adventure take care